Hello, and welcome to Future Side Chat. This is episode 9 of Future Chat, uh, Future Side Chat, and every week we sit down to talk about science and technology, centering the discussion on a new and exciting topic in one of those two fields. My name is Robert Trell, and I'm joined, as usual, by my cousin Mike. We're just a couple of science enthusiasts who love to learn and talk about the latest and greatest science and tech developments. I hope you're excited to join us today while we talk about transportation. We're extremely fortunate to be joined today by Nicholas Maddox, a man who has written literally thousands and thousands of word, words on transport and energy on his blog. Just a few of the topics we hope to cover this week are, what are the most efficient kinds of engines, and why? How can humans attain maximum efficiency in mass transportation? And who is going to be the first group to commoditize traveling through space? Join us as we jump headlong into the future of science. It's going to be an extremely fun show. Okay. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Oh, oh yeah. That one went so smooth. So smooth. That was, that was a good fade out. <laughs> That's literally all I was focusing on, and I kept stumbling over words. Uh, so, today, we're talking today. transportation. We're taking. We're gonna take a very scientific and then a, and also a very wishy-washy approach on talking about transportation, which I think. Is there any other way to do it? We kind of nail every single week. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> kind well, of I thing. have all these you know technical things to say and all these well-reasoned arguments, and then I'd like to just digress and talk about flowers for a while. <laughs> That's usually how it goes. It's it's like if the Bob Ross if Bob Ross had a podcast and talked about transportation, it would just or Mitch McConnell. Sure. I would watch I that. You, <laughs> Nick, that your impression sounded like a combination of Mitch McConnell and Bob Ross to me. I I don't actually know either of those people. <laughs> Mi- Bob Mitch Ross, McConnell, come the on, painter. I was gonna say I, I imagine it. It's that. like uh, stuff you should know if Josh and Chuck both had bachelors in science. Yes, that's that's also fair. Although they have a lot more time to do research than we do. But I digress. This week we're talking about transportation. We are. Yes. And so I wanted to start, as I always do, uh, before getting into anything too technical, talk just talk about what our favorite modes of transportation are. First of all, our most used one on day-to-day life and our dream favorite mode. If you could get around in any way, what would you want to do? So start with, uh, let's say start with Nick and what mode of transportation do you use most often? Uh, well, as we previously covered, <laughs> it, was my, it was my bike for a while, but... Um, how is that still sitting right beside you? <laughs> this is my podcasting about? corner, like in this room. It's a big room. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, chain's still broken, so it was my bike for a while, but uh, it's it's a lot of bussing and walking now. Okay. How about you, Mike? Uh, yeah, mainly light rail transit and bus. I spend an hour to and from work each way, so. I'm glad. Good we're times. Also- good times are had by all. On. What's that? <laughs> we're all such good environmentalists. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Totally intentional that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that we're poor at all. <laughs> yeah. Nick, uh, you're a grad student, understand, but Mike, you have a car, you just don't want to go downtown with it. 
Do you know how much parking is downtown? Exactly. It's That's like I'm... thirty bucks a day. <laughs> per yeah, day. Alright, let's start a parking podcast. <laughs> People need to know. It's true. Calgary's horrible. Calgary, I think they said that was the most expensive yep. city to park in in Canada. I've really? heard that same More stat. expensive than Toronto? Yeah. yeah. Toronto's a little bit more spread out and I would like to think Toronto's more spread out than Calgary? <laughs> Uh, I don't think that's true. Calgary's, Calgary's like sprawl city. It's GTA for a reason. It's gigantic. Rob, have you been to the 416? Yes. Really? Often, but... <laughs> How about it's... you, Rob? What's your most common mode of transportation? <laughs> My most common mode would definitely be public transit, although I do like to bike a lot as well. And uh, I, I drive when I need to, but... Try and, I don't try to avoid it. I don't have a car, but um, it's not it's not very frequent. Now, on to the much more interesting question, Mike. What is your dream mode of transportation? From the ripe old age, ripe young age of fourteen, I had always wanted a Vespa scooter type device. That's your dream. <laughs> that would be amazing. It's not practical in Calgary, where it's blistering cold six months out of the year, but I think that would be so much fun. I was going to say, uh, Mike, I could see you riding a Vespa through the Rockies. That's yeah. just its a good <laughs> mental picture. <laughs> you had the option of jetpack, and you picked Vespa. Well, I'm not what talking futuristic. I said dream. <laughs> it just doesn't have to be reality. You could have picked okay. unicorn. Well, I've already committed, so no. there you go. Now, Nick, what would yours be? Uh, <laughs> mine would be a good segue into the next section, so I think you might want to go first. Mine, I Is your think... answer a segue? <laughs> nice. Is that what you're the going for? The ones who started, have they? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, mine is... Although I would say jetpack under normal circumstances... <laughs> I have to say, helicopter, since I've been a kid, I've wanted to get placed with the helicopter. Well, I'm going to say that my dream would be a Fisker Karma, Fisker Karma, um, because, of, because it's just a ridiculously nice car, but it's also very fuel efficient, which, Rob, a helicopter is not fuel efficient. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going for fuel efficiency. I'm going for coolness, and it's a dream. So, <laughs> okay. So, uh, on the topic of efficiency, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know why I thought you were just gonna jump in there, Rob, but uh, totally did. So, uh, we're talking efficiency of transportation today. We are. Just to give people some context, this is what the Fisker Karma looks like. So it's, I mean, it looks to me like a sports car, but maybe, Nick, you want to tell us some more about it. Well, uh, it has, I think its engine is only about two liters, liters or something like that. It's not a very big engine. Okay. But the reason is that it employs a very interesting hybrid system in which the engine drives a generator which charges the battery bank, which then powers... Uh, the electric motors that actually move the wheels. 
So it's just a very, very... It, it, it's an efficient way to get as much out of that fuel with an in, internal combustion engine as humanly possible. Like, it's not near uh, Model S territory. It only has, like, a 50-kilometer uh, driving range with its batteries alone. Mm -hmm. But that onboard motor extends its range just so much more. Just to a regular car. Yeah, but it's, like, 0 to 60 miles per hour in 6 seconds, and it gets 60 miles per gallon, which is just... Mm -hmm. Like, most cars that get 60 miles to the gallon take well over 10 seconds to reach 60 miles per hour, even more if they have actual people in them because yeah. they tend to be very small cars. And, uh, like, the fastest cars in the world get to 60, mi uh, 60 miles per hour in about two seconds. So it's a nice, uh, wonderful car, beautiful car, but very f fuel efficient and very powerful. Seems like it's the best of all worlds. I really like that your dream is just having a model of efficiency. That's all you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, so, that's the long and short of it, Rob. It reminds me of that episode of The Office when Dwight's going to pick out his new company car. And then it's like, it's like oh, are you going to keep the Sebring? He's like, oh, no, that's so impractical and not fuel efficient. And then, I don't know, it was, it was funny. So he's looking for a fuel efficient car for his... Yeah company lease. Yeah. That's then, what it's uh, all about. Efficiency. It is. a huge spat about how the Sebring is not practical. Also because it has a convertible top. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So on to efficiency. While... The because I wasn't talking about that just no, now. But on, on the topic of efficiency, off the topic of the office... Um, there you go. <laughs> Even more efficient. We, we there are more efficient modes of transport than the Fisker. They're just not. They're not necessarily efficient for one person. I, I assume you're talking personal efficiency. Beg your pardon. When you're talking about the Fisker and it being the most efficient mode thing, well, it's, I, it's for I'm just, saying it's efficient, just moving in general. Yeah. <clears throat> so why don't we move on and talk about different modes of transportation and how efficient they are? Well. I think when we're talking that way, like, um, do we mean just general efficiency or say, like, if I put, I think it's four people can fit into the karma. If I put four people into that karma, uh, the per capita efficiency has just quadrupled. Yeah. Or, yeah. Probably not quite quadrupled, but I know you, I know what you're saying. Maybe like 3.5. So, I mean, Nick, you said you have some actual wishy-washy numbers to back this up. Why don't we go down the list and talk about the, what the most efficient modes of transportation are? Oh, there's, like, no list. <laughs> list in your head, for sure, but... Um, so, in terms of, and as far as I know, these numbers are holistic, but they refer to United States transportation, so it might be slightly different than our situation here in Canada. But uh, the most fuel-efficient method of transportation when you consider, like, everything, so even, like, construction of what you're traveling on and stuff like that, it's uh, passenger bus on highway. Just because you can fit, what is it, like, 50, 100 people on a bus? I think 
what is it normally 72 is the maximum capacity like seating capacity of a sounds uh, about right something about like a, a not necessarily a tour bus but like a a touring bus like a greyhound or something yeah like a coach bus which seems i get like i get why it's so efficient cuz like highway driving it's not going to take much energy to keep it going so it'll just kind of go for kilometers and kilometers well i think uh the reason that, and we were talking about this before the show, but I think the reason that buses make uh, it seem so efficient in a per capita kind of basis is, um, like, the most fuel-efficient methods of transport we have as humanity, I think, are freight rail and uh, ocean freight. It's, and they are just incredibly efficient per ton of transported material. But, uh, I mean, if you're packing human beings into, a, you know, a ship or a train, you're not actually hauling, like, tons and tons of freight. So it's not nearly as efficient as, you know, a per-person measure. It's very efficient by weight, but, you know, you're wasting a large locomotive on pulling people rather than cargo. Right. Because people are that much lighter than cargo. Yeah, we're we're light and we take up a lot of space. We don't pack it as densely. I think it's <laughs> a nice way to put it. <laughs> well, like it. Try telling the the human traffickers that. Try telling the airline industry that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say like uh, during World War One and Two, when CP Rail had a lot of effort in moving men across the country, like you just stood like person to person. And they moved you across the country that way, and that was probably very efficient. Yeah. But yeah. people aren't going to pay money to travel that way. They still do that in Japan. That they do that in Japan, yeah. Packing yeah. trains, like sardines. Well, yeah, they'll even have on on trains in Japan, like the high speed rail. They'll even have people who are hired to yeah. push people in to make sure everyone gets on. And then you have Calgary, where seats are taken up by backpacks. Because people don't want to move them. Does that happen in rush hour, though? It does. I had to ask a guy to move his backpack the other day, <laughs> but no one else would. <laughs> Interesting. Nobody else, like people would actually deny you. No, like no one else. No one else would ask him to move his backpack. Oh, they just okay. stand. I'm like, I'm not gonna stand. <laughs> <laughs> what am I, an animal? <laughs> what am I gonna pay for parking? <laughs> <laughs> so. Nick, I have a feeling that you want to talk about blimps as well in terms of efficient <laughs> modes of transport. Well, I don't I want know. to talk about blimps. I want to talk about rigid airships. It's all the same. In, <laughs> if it's not, then explain the difference because I think we all want to know. Uh, so the Hindenburg, that thing that exploded and made blimps not a thing anymore, <laughs> that was a blimp. And... Uh, like, a rigid airship has actual structural support, and the modern-day dirigibles that are coming out are... They, they look pretty impressive. They have an aluminum hull, and they're filled with helium. Not only are they filled with helium, but they have, like, a compressor system. So when you need more helium out there, it'll release it and then pull it back in when you need to sink a little bit, which is just really cool. Cool. But I think its cargo capacity is going to be 66 tons. And that just 
in a remote location even, that seems fantastic because they don't require a runway. They can just move, drop, raise back up, and keep going. Right. And I don't know, like, if you're talking about something like developing the Mid-Canada Corridor, which you can read about at Vodkin Equations, <laughs> uh, uh, it seems like it would be infinitely useful. And even then, like, uh, the fine folks at Stuff You Should Know recently talked about the fuel efficiency of blimps. And, like, a blimp can go a reasonable fraction of the way around the Earth with the same fuel it takes for, like, a 757 to lift off and get to cruising altitude. Just right. because you don't, yeah, you don't actually have to travel that fast. It moves slowly, but it's incredibly fuel efficient. Right. Um, so I'm still not exactly clear because technically the Hindenburg was a Zeppelin, if I'm not mistaken. What I believe what a Zeppelin is a blimp. I know, but what makes it, like, because it also had a rigid structure, at least somewhat. Mm, um, it wasn't just a balloon. But, it had... Well, no, it wasn't just a balloon, but it had an outer skin and, like, packets of hydrogen inside. Sure. But it wasn't really rigid, as far as I know. Like, the outer was a little bit, but, well, you might have a point, Rob. How <laughs> do I know about blimps? Here, and we have reached the wishy-washy portion of our episode. <laughs> no, just, if there's a difference between a dirigible, dirigible slash rigid airship and a blimp, I don't know what it is. Uh, dirigible encompasses both, I think. So a dirigible is blimps. And, ugh, words, how do they work? Um, blimps and rigid airships are both dirigibles. Okay. Lighter than airships, but... Uh, a rigid airship is, you know, an actual rigid stru structure, and a blimp is closer to a balloon. Okay. Do you do you know, like? I think it's obvious. I don't know anything about this, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I we we talked earlier about favorite modes of transport. I think favorite office locations would have to be for me. I would pick a rigid airship. Like I, I would. <laughs> I wouldn't even need. I wouldn't need to go to work in one. I could just work in one. Like have an office in a blimp, and you could just. When the cost of real estate is skyrocketing as it is these days, yeah, wouldn't I it would. just be easier to move your office to the sky? It would. I don't see any downsides. I'd be using helium, so that's that's fine. <laughs> Look into the future on Future Chat. You wouldn't need to I rent. I think we should be, well, I don't know. I feel like hydrogen does have a place in the future. It does. If, Especially if given uh, given the helium shortage. Yeah. Given yeah the, why, why is helium running out, Rob? Well, uh, the Americans... Birthday parties. A, one, no. That's no, that's actually a comparatively very minor use of uh, helium. <laughs> MRI. Like, there, are these, there are these certain uh, jerks, we'll call them, that... Uh, use a lot of helium on superconducting magnets for... Uh... Wait, what did you do your research in, Rob? Uh, Are you the reason we can't get affordable helium, Rob? No, okay. You helium... are making five-year-olds around the world cry, Rob, because no. their parents can't afford balloons. Do you want them to have explosive balloons because they're filled with hydrogen, Rob? <laughs> Is that what you want? Can I say something reasonable about helium? No. I think uh, we established you can't. 
the American government has decided to sell off their helium stockpile at a fraction of its value for some reason. And so helium is very cheap, and then when it runs out, there just won't be any left. So people are putting it in balloons because it's cheap. And, I mean, that that is not a waste. I mean, it is technically a use, but it's not a good use. Yeah, it's, to... it's a waste when you compare it to, like, you know, are MRIs, do they use liquid yeah. uh, helium? I yeah. would assume so, because they need superconducting magnets. They do, yeah. Um, but, yeah, do we want to, like, be able to do uh, non-invasive medical diagnostics or have balloons that float? Like, I think that should be an obvious choice. But I mean, depends honestly, who you ask, really. We can just use hydrogen in balloons. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> It's Honestly, easy to generate. it's not that big a deal. <laughs> you just, fine. like, don't smoke around them. Yeah. <laughs> don't invite your 50-year-old Aunt Irma to your birthday party, kids. Also, like, if you light off, uh, like, a pure hydrogen balloon, it just kind of goes, poof, and there's, like, a big, uh... No, it's just a big fireball, but it's not particularly aggressive. <laughs> just a big fireball. <laughs> I feel like that's not actually true. No, it's like, it's actually not. <laughs> this is what happens when you ask chemists about the relative risks of things. It's like, yeah, no, it just kind of, it's kind of erupts in a fireball. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> like, <laughs> God. So, Nick. You're a big fan of the video series, uh, periodic videos. I am. The one on hydrogen, where they pop hydrogen balloons, is that because it's not pure hydrogen? Um, I'm not sure which one you're talking about, but like, is there a loud, a really loud explosion? There is, like, really loud, really fast. Those are those are uh, balloons that have been filled with hydrogen and a the appropriate ratio of oxygen. Okay. So, so it just, like, explodes like that because, you know, it's the ideal fuel-to-air mixture. But, like, the fireball <laughs> that we referenced is, you know, it's just <laughs> so fuel-rich that it kind of goes off like a, almost like a candle would. So just the edges will be burning, basically. Yeah. Okay. What, so about, light what, what about when the rubber loses its integrity and then the oxygen enters into the balloon and quickly <laughs> accelerates the whole burning process? What then, what then Nick? My, my honest rebuttal to that was like, well, Mike, I mean, think about it. The hydrogen's more likely to leak out than oxygen is to leak in. <laughs> This is this is broken. But <laughs> <laughs> also just like floats away, so it's okay. Oh man. <laughs> Needless to say, there are much better uses for any gases that are lighter than air than balloons at birthday parties. That's true. <laughs> Can we move on now, Nick? Are you going to be okay? I don't know. <laughs> How about this? You can, if you're not ready, we, you can mute and then we'll move on and then come back. Okay. Do you want to do that? <laughs> okay. Nick will be back. Mike, are you ready? Yes. Okay. 
so let's talk about transportation. <laughs> he's just he's just going off even louder. Um, let's talk about transportation through human history, because and this this isn't necessarily into the future, but we'll get to the future once we get there. Um, <laughs> oh, I see some laughing. I need to cover this up. So, um, I think that it's interesting to talk about the Silk Road because that traditionally, like historically, has been very important. Uh, the Silk Road goes basically from southern China, India, that area, up through to southern Europe. And historic, like through the last 10,000, 20,000 years, it's been very important to agriculture and trade and all of this stuff. And then modern more modern methods started coming up, and so the Silk Road became less efficient than, say, taking the sea route, especially with the Suez Canal. Um, but now they are actually building a high-speed rail line on the old Silk Road, which I just think, like, we, we talked about how buses on highways are the most efficient, but I don't see, like, when you're talking about freight, I feel like that's going to be just so efficient to bring stuff from mm -hmm. China to Europe. Yeah. What do you think? Is, yeah. Sorry, is that the one that's going from Germany to uh, China? Yeah. Okay, yeah. 11,000 yeah. kilometers about? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, when, you, when you look at high-speed rail, I think that's definitely one of the tr transportation modes of the future. Like, you know, they've been talking about doing something like that between Calgary and Edmonton for a while. Um, I don't know. They've been using that forever in Japan and Korea between all those different <clears throat> countries around there. And, uh, yeah, when, you know, you're sitting on top of a magnetic field and little to no friction, then that's fairly efficient, I'd say. Especially when, generally, from my understanding, you're not using hydrocarbons for the actual propulsion. Energy generation, maybe, but you're using the electricity to be the, the main driver there. Right. And it's almost... I almost feel like it's not fair to call that rail... Because it's tracks aren't even like it's tracks, but it's not it's not rail now, railroad sense. Are you talking about because uh, it's not maglev going from no China to, China to Germany? It's just high speed rail, but like high speed rail and maglev are different things. Oh, so they're not talking about the mag? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No. no, that's you don't use that for freight. That'd be a terrible <laughs> idea. So Nick, why don't you explain why that is? Well, it's like maglev. You are relying on mag magnetic fields to like hoist something, so that's good for things like people that aren't terribly heavy. But when you're talking about rail, like freight rail, it's not nearly as fast as maglev or even high-speed rail. Because I think high. Well, I'd have to look into that more. But um, I don't know how energetically efficient maglevs are, but when you have a diesel-electric hybrid locomotive, like, you know, a gas-electric hybrid is what the Fisker Karma is. Great car. This episode of Future Chat is sponsored by Fisker. Yes. Um, they have the energetic efficiency locomotives do that with one liter of diesel fuel, they can move one ton, that's T-O-N, of freight, 185 kilometers, which is just staggering. Yeah. So what is the technology that makes 
this rail line high like high speed more than just a regular freight line that we're used to? I think it's I think it's just special construction. Like you're just making sure that it's nice and stable and straight and stuff like that. Like so they don't and, really, Sorry? I'm just I'm curious as to what what enables faster speeds. Like is it just because it's straighter, they have less turns because it's freight? Like how does it I'm not actually sure like how much technology goes into it, but I know they've been trying to put since forever they've wanted to put uh, high speed rail in between Windsor and Quebec City. Okay. Along that uh, corridor where like half of Canadians live. And uh, yeah, it's just not happening, which, you know, sucks, but here we are. Right. But apparently whatever the existing rail lines that we already have passenger service are are not capable of handling the high speed rail. Okay, so they would need to build new new rails to be more I guess like Or upgrade or something. Sorry? They would need like higher tolerances to so that if like you go faster it doesn't derail? I uh, Okay. I, so I imagine know. it's like, like I I imagine you can upgrade it or something like that. But. You just know that it's not maglev in the, on the new Silk Railroad. Yeah. That's true, because that okay. that's not for cargo. That's for yeah. people. From my quick Wikipedia research, it looks like high speed rail is specially designed tracks, as we hypothesized. Do we know and, what makes uh, them special? Well, just the low the high turning radius, so they don't have to slow down for the corners. Oh. Because I'd, I'd imagine that it's the slowing down and the speeding up that yeah. takes time. I'm glad I... I don't know if you guys heard when I said that. So yeah, no, that's what I'm saying, as, as we already covered. Yeah. So, good job, Rob. We're also <laughs> proud of you, Rob. <laughs> Apple Watch! <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. So... Yeah, so I wanted to kind of get to the more sciencey side of Silk Road and just how important. I mean, th- that like human humans moving from place to place is why we have taken over the entire globe basically now. And over the last several hundred years, with the development of things like rail and I mean even things like horse carriage, you can have it enables you to move more people a lot faster. So, for instance, if with the people that were first moving across the United States in the 1700s, the, like the, the settlers, I mean, they were moving... It took them several months to get across the U.S., and now you can do it... I mean, even if you're on the ground, you can do it in a day or two. It's just... It's unbelievable to me how far we've come, and and I think that has a lot to do with all the other advances that have happened in our world are just caused by people being able to move around. Like, our our world has gotten so much smaller. Yeah. And I think it's been accelerated, no pun intended, by uh, just people's needs to get places faster. And it kind of goes back to kind of a common theme with our, our talks that you see innovation and advances in technology when an, a need arises for it. I'm um, so project after. I don't know, I, that all I'm saying is that, you know, the reason that we're still continuing to advance is because people are demanding to get to places faster and more efficiently and cheaper. Um I almost I'm not sure that 
a lot of it has come out of any particular need. I think it's more that technology has enabled us to reasonably expect those things. Like the Industrial Revolution just completely changed how we move stuff around the planet. And I would almost argue that our ability to traverse so much of the United States so quickly, or you know, even Canada, like across land, has been fueled heavily by uh, the widespread acceptance of oil as a fuel. Like, it's just... It, it's completely changed our transportation dynamics. Like, the roads are surfaced with leftover oil products, and we drive cars fueled by oil products with lots of polymers in yeah. them from oil products. And just... Isn't the, isn't the, isn't the present neat, guys? Yeah. <laughs> So what about the thought that at some point we have to... I mean, we've only been depending on hydrocarbons for, what, two or 300 years at most in any sense? And plastics... What do you mean by hydrocarbons? I mean, sorry, I should be more specific, like natural gas and oil. Fossil fuels? Or, okay, natural gas and oil specifically? Yeah. I um, think the gushers were from, like, the 1800s, weren't they? Right, so a couple hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually we're going to use them all. They're a very, very finite resource. I don't know that we'll use them all, but we'll use them to the point where the energy return on energy invested yeah. is less than one, and so it's just an energy sink to try and use them. Right. So what do you think is yeah. what do you think we can do as a people now to to preempt the imminent end of that return on investment yeah. paying off. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Sorry, before we go further, oh, another aspect is the economic return. So where, for from a company standpoint, it costs more to get the oil out of the ground than they're going to get for the oil itself. So I think from that end, you're going to have to see, I don't know if it's government subsidization or intervention or something, as an incentive for these companies to get the oil out of the ground because otherwise they're, they're not going to care to because there's a lot easier easier accessible reserves. Like, there's a ton of stuff down there. It's just, is it worth getting it out? And that's kind well, of yeah. the main... But, like, the the economic impetus is going to be proportional to the energy, like, that you're getting out of the ground, yes? Sure. I'm, so, I'm In a sense, it's related, yeah. That's, that's yeah, true. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean... We we wanted to ne not necessarily spend a lot of time talking about alternative energy because we've already had a show on it. But the, this isn't necessarily an alternative, but people, like, for instance, if we're talking about biofuels and sort of looking at the environment in ways that it can help us extract energy, they've actually... I was reading an article earlier this week or possibly last week about how scientists have basically taken a, a small first step towards synthetic photosynthesis. Which, if you can, like, I mean, if scientists can exploit that in a grand scale, we wouldn't need, we wouldn't need fossil fuel, we wouldn't need, I mean, it's, ba it's basically more efficient solar energy in, in the end, because you're just using organic matter to convert solar energy into electricity. Or into... I mean, eventually into electricity, depending on how they do it. What do you guys think about the possibility of using the photosynthetic method to get 
energy to, to not have to rely on fossil fuels so much. I think that sounds like alternative energies, which we already discussed we wouldn't talk about. I don't think... If you're going back to transportation, how would you, how would you s substitute building roads and transportation materials themselves, such as the vehicles, without plastics and oil-slash-carbon-based yeah. materials? I mean, the roads themselves are pretty new. Like, paved roads, I mean. You can pave them with concrete. Like, it is possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a rougher ride. Right. And so, it's not necessarily... Like asphalt or concrete is not necessarily the be-all and end-all of materials that we can transport ourselves on. It's the best thing, not the best thing, but it's the thing we have that does the best job so far. That's have we talked about it. solar freaking roadways? We have. But <laughs> we did. Have, yeah, we have. But there's another thing to be said that maybe the future, like sustainable transportation, isn't necessarily mass transit because it's those big vehicles that transport lots of people that weigh a lot that will degrade roads faster. If we could come up with sustainable modes of transportation that would use, like that would, if we could have roads that did photosynthesis, these, I mean, I, I don't know how far that they get into the plant realm, but if you could build, if you could have a scaffolding that vehicles could drive on that also gathered you electricity or gathered you energy in any way, that would be a huge thing because it, if it's a biological material, it can grow and it can heal itself. And so any damage that was done by, say, a large truck driving on it hundreds of thousands of times a day wouldn't be an issue because the road would basically repair itself. I just think that it's a really, it's a really interesting thought once you get into the idea that we can control, not control, but we can sort of direct biology to help us out or mimic biology to to make advancements for ourselves. I just think it's really cool. It's not necessarily alternative energy and it's it's not necessarily transportation. It's more broadly applicable than that, but I just think it's really interesting if you could apply it to, to transportation. I don't know, do you guys think I'm way off base or is, is that just, are you guys going to be like, yep, I think I th I don't know. You kind of went off the deep end there. <laughs> is, this the, is this my throw in the volcano moment? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> is it is it crazy or is it like? I'll be honest. I kind of zoned out in the middle of it, Rob. <laughs> you started talking about self healing roads, and I was like, "Wait, how? How on earth?" With and then you kept going, but I was like, "How would you?" A scaffolding? What? I... Oh, okay, going back to, if, if you want to put it in perspective, the whole solar freaking roadways thing, the lack of uh, practicality, I guess, with implementing that is retrofitting all the existing infrastructure. And mm -hmm. I think what you're suggesting has a similar need. Right, but you wouldn't have to necessarily retrofit because <clears throat> older roads or rural roads wouldn't, get as much of a benefit from it because they're, they're, they're not near mass population centers. You could, you wouldn't have to necessarily retrofit roads. You could profit roads that need repair, for instance. Like you could replace, as you're replacing roads, because roads are not going to last forever, 
You could just do it as yeah. you're going. You don't only replace, they just peel off kind of the upper dermis and then... Well, they recycle it usually. Right, and then they'll just reapply like a fresh coat. Like they right. don't tear out the entire road. Right, but that's what I'm saying is that it would only be the top few inches that would ha- that would need this. Okay. Rob, have a hard... you... Rob, is it interesting to you that the pro fit leads to profit? <laughs> it would. I, I don't think it would necessarily lead to profit. I mean, it could if someone patented and like. What I'm thinking is the the part of the road that gets that needs replacing is the top layer. So if you repla- if you ha- if you developed this synthetic material or plant material, whatever it ends up being that comes out of this research, if you embed that in the road and and it is made strong enough that it can do at least as good as asphalt, but it's also generating electricity, why would why wouldn't you at least try? Like it just seems. Yeah. And what about transporting that electricity? Like it again, it goes back to the solar freaking roadways problem. No, but <laughs> fair enough. But in, in city centers, at least, you already have a grid. You would just plug it into that grid. Just plug it in. Not just plug it in, but plug it in <laughs> how they plug things like, in. Like walk away with an or walk from the roadways with an extension cord. Like, hey, can I plug this in somewhere? Now? It's like. <laughs> I need to get it to the grid. <laughs> Where do I find the grid, guys? Oh, man. Where's that, where's that, where's that plug for the grid? <laughs> if you're uh, just a little me, I don't need to... This week on GiggleCast... <laughs> so you think it's dumb? Like, the grid I is a real... Thing. I don't think it's, it's dumb. dumb. I think you're just like... I, th- I, I think that's really futuristic, what you're envisioning, Rob. I just... I have no idea what it's going to be that miracle material. Like, it would be great. It would. Probably graphene. I just... Graphene? I could... Sorry. <laughs> um... <laughs> it was a joke. Oh. Didn't catch that. Uh, but, yeah. I, I don't... I don't know what... When you're saying... possibly fill that need, though. You're saying it like, I'm going to walk up replace a roadway in front of my house with this road that gathers electricity from the sun and then walk up to the city and be like, hey, I have this electricity, where can I put it? I'm no, not, that's not what I'm talking no. about. I'm talking about incorporating no, it into the I grid. Know, I know that, but if, if you watch the solar roadways videos, they go over what's needed to integrate that type of technology into the overall like energy distribution method. But you could say the same thing about solar panels, and those are only... Right, and that's why those aren't widespread right now either. They're, they're, but that's not slowing them down. They're still being installed. Not in roads. <laughs> What's the specific bad thing? Okay, I didn't watch this video. What's the specific but, bad oh, thing Oh, see, there's the problem. You need to go well, watch the, the video. The, the problem is you're uh, suggesting a, a very distributed method of power production, and when you increase the distribution by that great a factor, it becomes incredibly resource-heavy in getting that energy back into the usable grid. And with solar roadways in specific, like that specific idea, um, it requires a lot of transmission lines. And that's that's one of the big... That's one of the big... Pun not intended, roadblocks 
to actually implementing it. I think like their original idea is they wanted to see it put in parking lots and things like that. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic because you have your most parking lots are going to be near existing grid work. Um, they're going to be small in scale, not require nearly the amount of capital investment, but they'd still be effective. Yeah. But the, the whole thing with that, though, it goes back to that during the day when the sun's out, there's cars parked in the parking lot, so you're not going to have any exposure of the solar panels to the sun. Well, I mean, part of the time, yeah, but what about the rest of the time? It's going to be dark. What? No, but I mean, like, they're not going to be jam-packed the whole day. Why are we talking about roadways <laughs> and not cars? We had this literally exact same discussion in an early episode. I don't understand what... Like, if solar panels are considered a p positive thing and don't mess with distribution, like, people, the government of Ontario is giving grants to people who in make solar installations. I don't understand the specific thing that means roads can't... From an individual basis, right. not to replace, like, well, energy... When you're talking about microfit projects, like, uh, like, I believe you recently discussed in Ottawa... I did. Um... <laughs> But like, they're not just doing microfit. They're doing on... Well, no, no. That specific cooperative is going yeah. into actual, like, almost... They're, like... They're still rooftop projects, I thought, but they're building larger and larger rooftop projects, so they need larger and larger roofs to cover. Yeah. But when you're talking about that, you are able to... Um, you're able to get energy directly into the grid through whatever installation you are on top of. Yeah. Which... Is fine. It, that doesn't take a lot of distribution, but if you're talking like the Trans Canada Highway or something like that, um, distributing that energy from, you know, the highway, it's going to take it's going to take a lot of res redundancy in order to effectively transport that energy from, you know, the really remote parts of the highway to your actual points of demand. Okay. What like there are transmission lines lining highways already for streetlights. There are, but those are carrying like AC current. You would need to take you would need to take all the DC energy that those solar freaking roadways produce, and then transform them into uh, transmittable uh, frequency current, whatever, mm -hmm. and then jump it into the transmission line. Like it's. It, you have to watch the video. It's not that it's not doable. It's just that the the upfront costs are prohibitively expensive, at least at this point. And, the and I also costs really think we should get back to transportation. This is transportation. We'll, we'll no, get... this isn't transportation. This is like road services. Infrastructure. Yeah. I don't, we could I'm not, do an infrastructure future chat. I think we yeah. could have a lot of interesting talks about that. I, I'm not referring to making it a big project. I'm referring to starting with one road and seeing how it goes. That's fine. but That's all, that's all I want. One road. Okay, so now that we've reached that compromise, yeah. we can just write the government of Canada and be like, listen, guys, we talked Rob down. He's okay with just one road, so just give Rob the road, please. <laughs> You're in Ottawa. Like, you could just bust down the I'm doors. I'm holding this ransom until I get yeah. my road. <laughs> Three floors down and go to the energy minister. 
All right, let's move on. Yes, Lance. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, I'm just going to let you talk for a bit. Um, You have some stuff to say about engines in general, and you have some science you want to drop on us. Yeah. You want to... Do you want your slide right now? I I would, because it's pertinent to something you were talking about before, solar freaking roadways. Um, No, one one thing you brought up was... uh, engines, like efficiency and stuff like that, and how can we get the most out of the oil that we have left? Correct me if I'm wrong. That is. That is what, yeah, okay. So one way you can accomplish that is either do a hybrid system like you talked about in, or like we talked about in the Fisker Karma or diesel-electric locomotives, or you can just move to solar cells, or... uh, not solar cells, fuel cells entirely. So what we're broadcasting right now is the difference between Helmholtz and Gibbs free energy. Any objections? We're good? We're good. Okay. Um, you know what I don't get about this? What don't Why? you get about this, Rob? Just This is just a clerical point. Why in Google Drive... Google Drive people, if you're if you're listening, why are the errors in errors quote unquote in spelling underlined in a presentation mode? <laughs> Go on, Nick. That's true. Also, why doesn't the dictionary include common words like isochoric, isothermal, and isobaric? Actually, and it does enthalpy. include yeah, isobaric. Not enthalpy though. What the? <laughs> yeah, Google Drive people. Actually, Come just. On. There, there is another instance of the word enthalpy that isn't underlined. <laughs> Did I, like, actually spell it? It's the same... But go on, Nick. Okay. This is disgusting. So anyway, uh, a, um, an internal combustion engine, the energy you're extracting uh, assumes that you are undergoing an isochoric isothermal process, meaning that it's constant volume and constant temperature. And that's the best reasonable facsimile we have for the internal combustion engine. But when you perform that work, the energy you get out is the potential energy minus the temperature entropy term. But when you're talking about a fuel cell, you don't have the explosion or, you know, the sudden temperature changes like that. So you have an isothermal isobaric process where the temperature and the pressure are constant. So you see down there, it's dependent on enthalpy rather than just straight up internal energy. And since enthalpy is the internal energy plus the pressure volume change that you would get, it you... Ugh, I should have explained this better. <laughs> uh, an explosive process or something like that in the internal combustion engine um, you get an expansion of gases, and whenever you have an expansion of gases, that requires energy. That's why when you pull the trigger of a fire extinguisher that shoots out CO2, it comes out cold of a you know canister. It becomes cold because it's draws energy from its surroundings, and it becomes it feels cold to the touch. So if you don't have any expansive processes like you would have in the uh, internal combustion engine, you 
when you're using a fuel cell, it direct explosion that way. You're just feeding the fuel through and extracting the energy from like the electron transfer that the fuel undergoes. Much more efficient because not only can you directly power an electric motor with it, you also have more potential energy to extract from it, as the inequality below shows, because you preserve all the energy from the pressure volume changes. And I'm going to stop talking now because <laughs> so, I think that's about all I've got. Is there anything I like blatantly glossed over or something like that? Well, I think maybe it would be useful if you could maybe summarize in layman's better. Um, so are you saying that the fuel cell is just inherently more efficient because of the process itself? I'm, exp I'm saying that thermodynamics means that it's more efficient. Like if you were even to use hydrogen fuel, if you fed hydrogen into an internal combustion engine, you would waste a lot of that, uh, a lot of the potential energy in the hydrogen from having it explode and drive the piston drive. But if you just fed it through a fuel cell, so you just feed gas into one end, it crosses a proton exchange membrane by a mechanism which I'm convinced is at least partially magic. <laughs> <laughs> and then it oxidizes the fuel on the other side. But instead of causing the fuel to explode and drive pistons, um, you just extract electrons from the chemical process directly and use that to fuel or that to drive an electric motor, which means that there's just more energy available to actually use because you're still getting that electron transfer in the explosion. It's just you're not directly exploiting that those electrons. You're exploiting the fact that it explodes to drive you forward. Right. So it's, it's more indirect when you're dealing with the explosion. You're not getting the energy itself. You're using the energy of the explosion to do some work. Yeah. Well, yes, converting chemical potential to kinetic and thermal as opposed to chemical potential to electrical potential to kinetic. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Thank you. Both of you. And <laughs> to all those who stayed with us throughout that entire explanation, <laughs> I thank you viewer. so much. We gained a viewer during that explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Someone was like, Nick is talking science, I need to be there. That was, that's a good place to join in. Yeah. You missed yeah, the whole exploding hydrogen... Here, I promise. You missed the exploding birthday balloon segment, <laughs> so glad we redeemed ourselves there. Be sure to go Explosion back and Yeah. <laughs> so, is there more we want to talk about? You guys wanted to have an engines episode. Is there anything more you want to say on engines? Electrical engines are just great. Or, like not engines, motors. motors. <laughs> so, like, electric cars are, are really good. Yeah. I guess, kind of going back to what we were well, saying before with how we kind of just realize that we can use oil and gas to get us places. I think we should give our appreciation for that because we wouldn't be where we are if we 
didn't drill holes in the ground and destroy the environment while we're at it. That's true. As long as we make it better in the end, I think we'll, we will be able to forgive ourselves. If it doesn't yep. lead to the downfall of humanity, I think we're going to come out on top. Yeah. <laughs> I also think that uh, the internal combustion engine has a future in things like the Fisker Karma. Yeah. yeah. There are also, and, like, uh, did any of you look into wave disk engines? No. No, oh, okay. Basically, it's kind of a similar sort of thing, like, because uh, the reason that gives you more power is that you just spin the engine at its most efficient RPM, because all engines will have a, mo a point at which they're most efficient. Mm -hmm. And then if you use that to charge a battery bank to drive electrical motors, it just gives you more energy out of that uh, fuel. Mm -hmm. But wave disk engines seek to be just like just a disk that spin and provide that uh, electrical current. Interesting. And that could also be another way of just getting the most out of the energy we or the oil we have left. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna ask, like, what are what are our thoughts on the? Uh, I don't know. Everyone talks about perpetual motion machines. I don't know what. Uh, if those have a future, or... We're going to address them. them. <laughs> address the trolls. <laughs> Keep trying to well, troll us with perpetual motion machines. <laughs> as, as we discussed... I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like you guys bought the slide I put up, yes? Yes. Yeah? yeah? And that, that slide is based on thermodynamics, right? Absolutely. Right. So I think we're all... We're, we're effectively on board with the four laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> we are. And does the second law of thermodynamics not explicitly preclude the possibility of perpetual motion and free energy? It does. Yeah. Well, then there's unless, nothing to discuss. Unless... No, I got nothing. If, if uh, someone actually comes up... Nothing. If someone actually discovers free energy somewhere, then by all means, I'd be on board if it was legit. Yeah. Yeah, if you can actually extract free yeah. energy, that would be great, and all of science would be wrong at this point. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> Show us. <laughs> even free energy, even cheap energy would be cool. Something like nuclear fission or cold fusion, cold fusion would, yeah. be, would be really, really neat. And Fusion period would be neat. If we could actually get a fusion reactor, reactor going, yeah. our energy needs would just be like looked after. See, at, least, at least that's not impossible. Well, I mean, like, it's it's really far away though. Let's be honest. It's like ninety three million miles away. So what are we gonna do? Are you trying to make a pun? Is that like a light year thing or? No, I'm just the sun is a giant fusion reactor, but that's fine. Oh. <laughs> ninety three million miles is an astronomical unit. Is that what we're saying? Yes. That's what we're saying. Ah. The average distance between the Earth and the sun. Okay. <laughs> Anything else you want to say? In engine? seriousness, though, the the, uh, the the fusion reactor is just technically challenging, though it's not impossible. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the day when we because we will get it eventually. It's just unlike free energy, yes, free which energy is impossible. It's it's not not going to happen, but it's so unlikely that we can say it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's it's pretty unlikely. Because entropy is a thing. Yeah. Can 
So we'll, we'll move to the viewer question segment of the show now. And before we get to the non-Q&A version, we have, we have something show up on the Q&A. We actually have uh, Taylor Swift. She said hi in our Sweet. Q&A section. Like so actual Taylor cool. Swift. The actual lowercase t, lowercase s, Taylor Swift. Wow. The very, very low-resolution profile picture. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, know, right? we have a high-profile viewer then. Hi, Taylor Swift. That's that's literally the whole message is hi. So, uh, hi back. That's here. great. It's so nice of her to stop by. Thanks for being a fan. Yeah. Now, uh, Nick, you also had a question. Well, viewer question slash, slash suggestion. Um, okay. So there's a lot of concerted applied research and development that many motor companies, but GM in particular, is looking into. And one of the things they want to do is lower the weight of cars to get, you know, better fuel efficiency, more out of the oil we have. And lightweight alloys, like magnesium, they corrode really easily. So, you know, I I know a guy who's looking into that. But uh, <clears throat> what? Uh, how far do you think we can extend the range of our vehicles with things like lightweight alloys? Just changing metals? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Uh, or just lowering the weight of cars in general. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I think that a lot of the... The stuff that goes into making cars goes into protection of the people inside them. Like there's, a, they weigh thousands of pounds, not necessarily because they need to to get us around. And so, if there was some way that we could change that dynamic to make, if we made cars a lot lighter, they would be a lot more fuel efficient. We would just have to change laws, and maybe self-driving cars will enable that to happen if we have if we trust our cars not to crash into each other there won't be a need for them to have all this steel reinforcement roll cages we would so if we go ahead if we all had like the google self driving car yeah and you could make that out of much lighter materials because they're just probably not going to crash into each other you think that would be an effective way forward i think that's the cheapest easiest way to move forward I'm not saying there aren't any other ways. I just think that's that to me is the low-hanging fruit is that we have tens of thousands of, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of car accidents every year on, in, on, on Earth. We have lots of cars. If we can reduce the number of accidents through whatever methods, if it's like putting smart systems into cars that can detect blind spots, whether it's having cars be completely self-driving, I think we can reduce weight of cars a lot that way because we have thousands of pounds of steel going into them that if they didn't crash into each other, it wouldn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Yeah. And granted, there are types of vehicles that still want that durability and, and weight. Like, you know, people are still going to want their F-350s and Hummers and those types of vehicles, and you're not going to well, have... Well, in, in, in fairness, like, th those heavier vehicles have a role to play. Mm -hmm. We don't always need them, but there are times at which you need heavier vehicles to do heavier work. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if not compromising safety by making them lighter, then then I'm all for it. Then. Cool. If if it doesn't increase the cost of them beyond the point of outweighing the fuel savings. Okay. So if I can pause briefly on that note from Mike and Rob, Jeff, get it done. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure what you mean by that, but what's he gonna get done? It's gonna solve the magnesium corrosion problem. Okay. Or not. It depends on whether or not he gets it done. <laughs> Fair enough. Any any other questions that uh, you guys had posed or things you wanted to bring up before we wrap it up? I think I got uh, a good idea for something to talk about, but um, it doesn't seem pertinent to the chat we're having right now. But if we if we talk after, I might bring it up. Yeah. Could we could we do such a thing, Rob? Let's do that, and I also want to talk about space travel. But, uh, yeah, we're going to try out this new thing that we haven't done yet uh, where we're going to have an after show. We're going to wrap it oh, up. fortuitous. The way we normally do, and uh, then we'll just keep talking for a bit. Awesome. If you guys like the sound of that, we'll wrap it up for now, and then we'll see you back here at the end. Sounds good. You guys know the drill? Do you guys remember the drill? Actually, yeah. That's fine. So uh, thanks for tuning in this week. You know that you can find us at futurechat.me. Uh, this has been our show on transportation. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. All of those places will be good places to find Future Chat. And uh, I really hope you enjoyed the show. I know I did. And we will absolutely see you next week on future tech chats. I like this thing where I don't have any pressure to end everything really quickly. I know last week last week was a mess because of the whole screen sharing saga. Um, so are we calling this the after show officially? Yeah, this is officially yeah. the after show. Alright, so this is completely impromptu? Completely impromptu. Is it, is it ever not it. impromptu? All right, no, just on that, with that out of the way, I got to go to the washroom. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to talk about? Nick, you said you wanted... Let's, let's talk about space travel, Rob. Yeah. Uh, so I really like the, the idea of human transportation going to space. Uh, not just the, the idea that uh, we need to travel to other planets or to other stars or galaxies or whatever, but I like the idea of us using taking longer flights and going through space. So things like Virgin Galactic, SpaceX, basically taking a flight to Australia, and rather than going at 35,000 or 40,000 feet, whatever the cruising altitude is for that flight, taking it, going straight up into the, I guess, stratosphere, whatever, whatever the upper layers of the atmosphere where the air's a lot less dense, you can cut down travel time to a couple hours. It's basically like it's it's so efficient on time, and it with the current technologies it doesn't cost. I mean, it costs a lot to do research, and like most of the the quote unquote passenger transports don't take many people. But if we bring that cost down, I think it's a lot more. It's a, it's going to make cross continental or intercontinental travel a lot more 
useful than than it is spending say 24 hours with a bunch of transfers on a plane to try to get to another continent. Mm-hmm. From from a fuel efficiency standpoint, how practical is that though? Because from my understanding, is the takeoff that kind of burns all your fuel, not all of it, but a good amount of it. So right. If yeah. If you're climbing yeah. that much, then I don't know how if that would justify doing that versus flying for 24 hours. But getting like planes right now, passenger planes aren't designed to fly into space. They're designed to fly at cruising altitude. Right. But the expensive part is getting to cruising altitude. Once you're at cruising altitude, it's not as big a deal as it is launching. Like if you're launching a space shuttle, it's a lot cheaper to launch a space shuttle if you launch it normally on a on the back of a passenger plane and then shoot it into space. And so I just think that things like like space travel where you're following the curvature of the atmosphere as opposed to necessarily the curvature of the Earth, I think would, is a lot more efficient and I hope is the future of where we're going. Mm-hmm. So would these be like like 10 passenger planes, 5 passenger planes, like what's the... It could start out that way. Like, I, It's going to depend on the economics of it. It's going to depend on the efficiency of it. They're, I, I think they're starting out with just a few passengers, but I mean, when you first... When you start, first started flying, that was only 110 years ago. Uh, it was, it was like that as well. Like it started off with a couple of people. So I think that it's a matter of breaking through that barrier of doing it, and then trying to make it cheaper and, and better. Hmm. I mean, that's going to lower the barrier to actual space travel as well. Once we start getting experience doing that, we've only been in space for what, 40, 50 years. Both, uh, yeah. 60s. Well, they had, they had to take that whole soundstage down from New Mexico, so that, oh, that's man, a I forgot time. about that. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I think we should also go out of our way to say that just as the just as free energy doesn't exist, they land on the moon. There are reflectors up there that we've seen and used, and that's. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is, or is making that just a, a convenient fiction, Rob? <laughs> I think that we all are aware and agree that it's not fiction happened. <laughs> Actually, um, just briefly on that note, because after show, and we can digress endless, endlessly here, right? Yes. Sweet. Um, <clears throat> the reflector they left up there, it's like the three mirrors at right angles to one another, Yes. Yes. Have you ever actually looked at one of those setups? Uh, yes, although I don't think I might. I don't know that I'll be able to get what you're about to say, but go ahead. No, it's it's just really cool. Like, because the reason they do that is that no matter how you have an incident beam, it will always reflect out parallel and like just a little bit yeah. off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's why we put it there for range finding purposes. But um, it's just really neat to actually look at them because for that reason, if you actually walk up to it and you're looking at it, you can, like, move left to right and you still see your reflection no matter what, which is just weird because of, you know, the usual mirror setups you're used to. Right. It's just really cool to walk up to them and see your reflection, like, never actually moves no matter where what angle you come at it from. 
Right. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> I like your I'm like I like your casual attitude in the after show. <laughs> I'm I'm totally in after show mode. Come on guys. Uh, yeah. No pressure. Nick, so Nick, I feel like there was something you actually wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, it's also kind of pertinent to transportation. Um yeah. and if we're talking space travel, like are we talking like I was gone, washer. Um, did you guys talk about, like, uh, just passenger travel in yeah. space, yeah. or... Okay. Through space. Back to Earth. Sure. Intercontinental. <laughs> oh! I feel like that'd be... That'd take a lot of energy. Yeah. You'd need to, like, passenger really want to be in Russia now. Yeah. Passenger planes take a lot of energy. We still do that. <laughs> I think we need some uh, some more energy to do such things. We need some we need some data crunching because I don't know the energy requirements. I think that's when you're well. I was going to say that's when you start getting into like terms like astronomical amounts. <laughs> Having to do with the naming of stars is that <laughs> puns what? are funny. That's what astronomical no. means. No, but uh, in terms of, like, transportation deep space-wise, have you guys heard of uh, solar sails? Yes. Yes. Yeah, those are neat. They are. That's really all I have to say. (laughs) Well, between that, I can't tell what I like more, that or ion thrusters, like the ones that'll take in ions as their fuel as they're going through space and then shoot them out faster to speed up. I really like that concept. I'm not sure I've heard of that one. You don't... Like, space is obviously not very dense, so you won't come across particles very often when you're in deep space. But if you're going fast, which you would be if you're traveling interstellarly... um, (laughs) Which is a word, by the way. Totally a word. Totally, yeah. (laughs) Interstellar. Um, And so if you're doing that, you will be traveling quickly, so the density, obviously, there's if there's not a lot, but you're going fast, you're going to encounter some molecules or atoms. Uh, it'll basically take in that as fuel and then ionize it and shoot and like shoot the ion out the back to power itself. Now, is that different than... Because um, the only ion thrusters I've heard of before are like radioactive xenon or something like that, and you just put that... I guess, in the back of it, and it shoots ions out, or, like, you know, radio, radioactive decay products out the back, and it just, you know, drives that drives it forward that way. Mm-hmm. I is mean, it as different? Far, or like, it, I, it is slightly different, because they haven't done that yet, and as far as I know, Voyager is powered by a nuclear, like, that kind of thrust. Oh, is it? Or, I can't remember if that's the battery, or if that's the... But, like, they're basically... Uh, I can't remember. They might not be using it anymore because now that it's... They're basically talking about how it's now left the... Or it's... It's left the sphere thing. Heliosphere, yeah. Yeah. They they don't really know exactly when it's left, but it's getting there, and so they're basically just using the electricity to broadcast every every once in a while or whatever on regular intervals, but... um, As far as I know... That has a nuclear engine. I don't know. I'll, I'll call it an engine for lack of a better word, but nuclear reactor. Propulsion system? Yeah. Okay. 
Um, yeah, like they said, how fast could a solar sail catch up to Voyager if they actually deployed one? Yeah. It was like a couple of years or something like that. I mean, I don't know. But quickly, comparatively speaking. Yeah. I don't know how well a solar sail would work. Like, obviously, if you're sailing, you know that you can only sail downwind or at angles so that you're at least partly... Well, downwind. I mean, the benefit of leaving the heli or uh, our solar system is that, you know, whatever direction you point it is out. Yeah. Pretty That's much. That's what I was thinking, but... So you could get out, but it wouldn't... In terms of transportation, it would only work... Like, it would, it, you'd have diminishing returns once you set it up because you're getting well, further, yeah, but, further away from the source. But it's not going to slow down all that much because... It's space, not going right? to slow it down. It just wouldn't speed it up past a certain point. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But, I, no, I, I do like the idea of solar sails. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. But, like, the other thing I wanted to talk about, if... No, there's no talking stick interjection, so... Um, no, I read an article this week uh, entitled Tesla Model S's Dirty Secret or something like that. Did either of you catch that one? Was that on Slate? Mm, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Uh, it was, I've read, depending on what you're going to say, I might have read something about it. Aluminum? No. Aluminium for our across mm. the pond or everywhere but here guests? <laughs> Where's Taylor Swift? Everywhere but here. Does she say aluminum? Who? <laughs> Taylor Swift. Uh, I'll ask. I'll get back to you. Okay, sweet. Um, uh, oh, yeah, they were talking about um, the fact that the Tesla Model S uses a lot of aluminum just because it's lighter and you get more range out of a vehicle with a lighter vehicle. So it's yeah. so along the lines of lightweight alloys, but they were going on about how it produces so much more, um, or it's so much more energetically intensive to smelt aluminum than iron for steel. Yeah. I just want to know your thoughts on that. Have they looked at the effective carbon footprint, taking that into account or no. Um, not holistically, I don't think. But I mean, vehicle lifetimes aren't really known well at this point for the Tesla Model S, right. as far as I know, because, mm -hmm. you know, they're new. Hmm. That's, uh, that's interesting. But, I mean, because if we're talking about... So, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying there, there, are like, there are hundreds of considerations. You can sit there and compare all of these statistics, but... For every article like that that exposes the dark side of Tesla, you could counter it with an article that like looks even further in depth and finds like, oh, actually, in, in this case, it's even it's better again. Like just taking a new thing into account. Sure. Yeah. Thoughts, Mike? Well, if you're not going to use aluminum, what are you going to use? <laughs> like you use steel. Well, that's the thing, right? You you could use steel, but then you're effectively decreasing yeah. range and. People complain about that. Yeah, I mean, what's the... I don't know. I looked at it, and I was like, but it's still a, it's, it's still a fully electric car. Like, yeah. I mean, in, uh, in the majority of Canada, the, uh, the bulk of that energy is going to be coming from hydroelectric or nuclear. And... 
like that's zero carbon emission right there. I mean, effectively speaking. Right. The generate or the you know, the fuel doesn't create any carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you if you want to make a carbon emission argument, like let's look at that. Or if you want to talk about the energy that's used, because aluminum smelting happens usually using a lot of hydroelectricity, so also zero carbon emission. Hmm. And then if you want to talk about the energetic efficiency of the Tesla Model S, it's like 80% or something like that. I'm asking. Take your word oh. for it. Neither of no, us I'm... know better than you would. <laughs> No, I think like the transmission efficiency is something like ninety percent, and then battery to motor conversion is something like ninety percent. It works out to eighty-one percent overall, or something. That's it's reasonable. I know pretty good because it's electric, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. So I read that <laughs> article, and I'm like, well, yeah, you use more resources to pump out aluminum than iron. But it makes the thing more efficient, and it's super efficient anyway. Like, what's what's your problem? Uh, get off Tesla's back, please. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel as though they don't fully understand what's going on. They've, like, latched onto this one bad thing, and they're like, Oh, I found the boogeyman, guys. It's coming for your babies and If you stuff. use aluminum, your your Tesla will bend if you sit on it or put it in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> we should be using steel. <laughs> steel is real, guys. <laughs> yeah, Tesla Model S is climbing in your windows and snatching your people up. Yeah. And it'll give you autism. <laughs> <laughs> The number of myths that we have thoroughly disbunked and dispelled. Oh man, on this disbunked show. Disbunked and dispelled. Disbunked yeah. and depelled. <laughs> Dis- disbunked and, yeah. Jiminy Jillikers. <laughs> Is there more we want to say? Do you want to just pick a topic for next week or discuss That's a topic? That's a good idea. Any thoughts on, on tech? Oh man, it's a tech chat. We, this could have been a tech job. We could just call it that and then be like, oh, there's some brief science in here. <laughs> what do you mean brief? I, I went on endlessly. <laughs> God. At, at certain, I was like in mid-explanation and going, oh, God, i got to wrap this up, but I'm like halfway through. Poor <laughs> viewers. At a certain point, I've envisioned consolidating and just talking technology or talking science and not necessarily having a broad topic. And now that we're at this point, it, now that we have an after show apparently, upcoming is Future Tech Chat number 24, which is the end of a traditional season. <laughs> season In theory, we could have a, we could, for, the, for a while at least, close out Tech Chat and do Side Chat every week. In theory. I'm floating this with you guys now. And our, you know... Because we could just go in perpetuity with alternating every other week. Or we could... What if we did future chat and just talked about whatever we wanted? No, that's Mike, that's just a crazy question. idea. No, that's a whole other question. What do you think about that? Mm. I don't know. I like talking about tech and science. Well, so do I. I like, I like the idea of having a, a specific thing to talk about in a given yeah. week. 
we like there's a lot that I want to talk about to do with space. Uh, I still want to have the medicine side chat. Yeah. Uh, in in technology, I think there are still some angles that we could we could cover, or we could start. Like it's been long enough with cell phones. We could have another talk about cell phones. Like not not not. I'm not talking about gadgets. I'm talking about specifically. We could talk again. Do like a revisit of cell phones to do with the mobile industry and all that. Like enough stuff has happened that I feel like we could do another yeah. episode on that. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more in home automation and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We could. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Any thoughts, Nick? Honestly, I'm usually just happy to like talk endlessly about whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm I'm just in for the ride. What are you thinking about? What do you think about picking a whatever versus just having a list of things we want to talk about from a given week? Like we could we could talk about just things that have come up in science or technology in the past week. Or the past month, or whatever, like we just pick stuff um, that we find interesting. Be a good, like, you could have just generally, you know, catch-all shows. Um, yeah, like every month or something. I think. I mean, I, I. Well, yeah, sure, but like, I think. Um, I mean, I would be happy with that, and I don't see a large difference between our tech, tech and side chats. Though in general, yeah. in general, I do enjoy our uh, side chats more. Yeah. Just because I'm not nearly as passionate about gadgets as you guys are. Right. Um, like they're neat, but what if what oh, if we sorry, did? Sorry, I just like looked at the wall and zoned out. I'm tired. <laughs> what if what if we, what if we did like more of a a new not a news based? Oh, chat, sorry. The but... the other thing is like, what do our viewers want? Yeah. Yeah. Because so I don't know. You know? I don't know how much of that uh, how much of that viewership is shared between tech chat and side chat. There is like, yeah. Okay, but all right, yeah. There's a lot of overlap in topics too. Like you said, this could have been a tech chat. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it. I mean, if the viewers only wanted one or the other, I yeah. could see that being like it would be easier for consumption if we had them split up, but I mean, I don't know what the overlap is like. Yeah. Hello to viewers, what do you want? Yeah. Is there anything, do you have a preference you just like hearing us talk? I can't All imagine that being the case. <laughs> um, if, if you'd like more talk about exploding balloons, then we can arrange that too. We can have a balloon episode, or a rubber episode. Um, <laughs> Man, you should make... You should do one of your future tech clips on the whole exploding yeah. balloon. Oh no, I I need to I need to get on that. Yeah. Also throw it into the volcano because that was yeah. also just, just have, fantastic. It wouldn't be a big thing. Just 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 a exploding fireball. That's it. <laughs> so this thought just occurred to me. Um, this is kind of news based, but it's also a good topic for a show. Google why? Did you guys hear about Google why? No. So Google has, has had a thing for the last few years, whatever it is, the secret projects wing, Google X. Okay. And so in the last week or two, they talked, they, they basically introduced the concept that they want to take it one step further, and they're calling it Google Y. But it's the thing that does their, that health initiative, the, what was it called? 
uh, Corona or something. Like the Apple thing? No, 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 no. The, the whole, like, ex- life-extending program that Google... Oh, okay. Uh, I forget what it was called. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, so basically, it's, it's taking a look at bigger projects. So, for instance, I'll just bring up the thing. Are we still talking about our show? We are still talking about it. Well, this is, a, this is talking about a Google 2.0 or a Google Y episode. Okay. So things like uh, big challenges facing humanity. So more efficient airports, for instance, a model city. They're basically like Google Oh, X. so that's like, uh, that's like IBM's Intelligent Planet or Smarter Planet initiative, isn't it? Uh, it might be similar, yeah. So, like, when, when Google Google X is doing the self-driving cars, they're doing the Internet that's carried by balloons, they're doing the, the eradication of death is the, the, the way that The Verge puts it, but uh, the pro- program's called Google, Google Calico. <clears throat> that was the program that uh, is basically looking at medical research and, and trying to take the, the, the... Not, like, when people die of old age, that's what they're trying to, quote-unquote, cure, or trying to trying to diminish. And so the next, this that's Google X, and so Google Y is the, the even bigger picture thing. So, like I said, talking about more efficient cities. Like, they have Google Fiber where they sort of rolled out to make a better internet, but Google Y would be building an entire test city that would be, obviously, it would, have, it would be wired for gigabit fiber. It would be, like, there would be smart appliances in every home. There would be smart meters everywhere. Like, it would be basically Google's vision of the future, but in a model city. Oh, my I, God. I would move there, actually. Yeah, it's like, that's oh, what they envisioned for Epcot originally. Well, yeah. At that's Disney, a, except, you know... City of Tomorrow. Man, I would love to live in Google City of Tomorrow. So, it's decided that that's the next episode. <laughs> That would be a great tech chat, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's your ideal city? That's a Calgary. Good... <laughs> no, we'll, we'll talk Google Y. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. Yeah. That's good. And then we'll, we'll see what, if we get any feedback, we'll, we'll, cue, we'll think about it for a week, and then, because that, if that ends up being the last official tech chat, there'll be one full season, 24 episodes. And then we can figure out what's next, or we can whatever, whatever it is. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Any any more thoughts for the end of the after show? I don't have end of after show music. I'll just end. Um, Viewers, tell us if you want us to keep doing the after show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you like the after show, oh, this is going to be my uh, this is my last uh, future chat in London. Is it? When do you yeah. get here? Well, not there. I'm going to Belleville for a little bit because I'm. Oh, okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Kai is coming for a thing. Also, we're going to see Book of Mormon, which is awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I heard it's supposed to be good. I completely lucked into those tickets because she and her mom took care of it, which is awesome for me. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to be in Belleville, and I'm, I'm, I'll try not to skip them. But I, my feed is probably going to be terrible. We'll we'll see how it goes. I think I'm going to miss one of them, but you know, we'll talk. Okay. Okay. We'll do Google uh, Wine next week, and then we'll figure it out past there. And then um, I'm I'm Alberta bound. 
Yeah. This, is, this piece of heaven that I found with Rocky Mountains and Black Fertile Ground. Everything I need beneath that big blue sky. <clears throat> yeah. If if you want to hear more singing, <laughs> uh, tweet at us at Future Chats. That's uh, that's the place to go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if that's it for the week, then we'll say goodbye and talk to you guys next week. Bye, everyone. Toodaloo.